What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Went to an Indians game last week, and it was the walk-off. Had a really cool. fun time there, so ended my four-game losing streak, seeing Indians games, and they all lost, so it's <laughs> finally good to see a win. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, def- definitely a bounce-back week for the Tribe, you know, kind of ho-hum last week when we were talking about them. Good to see them take three out of four from Tampa Bay and split the series against Colorado. No, certainly. I mean, we, we, we were looking at the schedule the other day. They had like 23 straight games coming up, all of them against playoff caliber teams. You got the Twins, the Royals, the Red Sox, um, the Rockies, the Rays, the Yankees. I mean, all of these teams are fighting for the playoffs or, or leading their division or something like that. It, it's It's a tough stretch for the Cleveland Indians that they are in the midst of. So good to see them getting off to a good start. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's pretty much all of August. I mean, September 1st starts a stretch where they actually play some uh, bottom-feeding teams. So, yeah, this will be a, a pivotal stretch for them. It has been a pivotal stretch for them, um, and good to see that they are uh, above 500 during that. Um, Chris, probably the biggest piece of news during uh, last week's series against the Rockies and the Tampa Bay Rays is Michael Brantley rolling his ankle, landing on the disabled list, and immediately that night, the tribe trading for Jay Bruce uh, through waivers, giving up a low A prospect Ryan or Ryder Ryan, which is a, a cool name, but not a very valued prospect. Um, Chris Jay Bruce is a Cleveland Indian. Um, I, I think it, I think it's a great move. Um, any what are your thoughts on it? Well, as you mentioned, Michael Brantley got injured the game I was at. So that obviously was a very scary moment. Um, and the fact that they almost instantaneously went out and traded for Jay Bruce, initially I thought, oh my gosh, Michael Brantley's done for the year. And that's that's initially what I thought. Now, fortunately, uh, the, the there's been some very good news in that front. It doesn't look like it's as serious as initially um, thought or, or what it looked like. I mean, it looked like he was done when he got injured last Tuesday. Yeah. It looked like he was done. So very good news on that front. But the fact that they gave up a, you know, Ryder Ryan for Jay Bruce, that that's a money trade right there. Look, I'm not trying to knock Ryan. He's a low-A prospect. His numbers weren't great. But to be fair to him, he hasn't had a chance to really climb the ladder yet. He's still early in the developmental stage, um, way too early to completely write him off as a throwaway prospect, but certainly not a prospect that was highly coveted by many teams. So certainly a guy that, that was expendable, and, and, and it doesn't look like they gave up much to acquire Jay Bruce, who had about 20, 29 home runs coming into Cleveland. Bob, you add this bat in the middle of the lineup with Jose Ramirez, Edwin Encarnacion, a healthy J.C. Kipnis, a healthy Michael Brantley, and Francisco Lindor, and, and you you got the makings of a really good offense, but we've been saying that all year long. I mean, it just feels like this Indians offense hasn't revved up 
You know, I mean, they've shown a, a spurt here, a spurt there, but they seem to all kind of go into these lulls at the same time. I mean, for, for all the name power they have on this offense, you, you, you kind of think they've underachieved just a little bit. It, it, don't, don't you think? I mean, it's just an odd feeling with this team um, going into to, you know, the last six weeks of the season. Yeah, it really has been, and you're spot on. We've said it multiple times, you know, this Indians lineup is deadly and can be deadly, and they just haven't put that together, um, be it. The, granted, there have been a lot of injuries between Brantley, Chisholm Hall, and Kipnis all landing on the DL during, for spurts. Um, and Carnacion had a terrible start to the season. Um, but, yeah, they, they just haven't all clicked and haven't operated at 100% yet. That's a good thing uh, because the Indians are on top of the division four and a half game lead against the Twins uh, without their offense operating at, at an optimal level. But it's it's also concerning that we may never see what we expected uh, the, the Indians to be capable of doing offensively. Um, I do think injuries are part of that. Um, a, a couple of guys fell back to, to normal production, particularly Carlos Santana. Uh, isn't having the the power hidden year that that he had last year. Uh, I think Jay Bruce is is a perfect addition for that. This is a guy that uh, since 2010 has, has hit less than 25 home runs only one time. Um, he he's a for sure given power bat, kind of the exact opposite of what Michael Brantley is. I mean, Brantley is probably one of the better contact uh, walk hitters. Uh, in the game and hits for a low power while Jay Bruce hits for a low average and, and a high amount of power. But I, I think it's needed and, and was a perfect move for the Indians to, to not only uh, replace Brantley while he's on the DL, but you know, they're, like I said, they're down two starting outfielders. Lonnie Chisenhall went, went onto the DL leading the Indians in RBIs. So they, they clearly needed some outfield production uh, at the time of trading for Jay Bruce uh, with his 29 home runs the entire Indians outfield combined had 37 home runs. So uh, Jay Bruce bringing some much needed power to that outfield. I think it can only help and it's going to give the Indians a plethora of options in the outfield. Uh, should Chisholm Hall complete his rehab stint, he's in double uh, a right now. And Michael Brantley, like you said, his injury isn't uh, too serious though. It is the same ankle he injured earlier in the year. Uh, and he should be back at some point as well. So that they might have a, a logjam in an outfield, which is a good thing because those guys have uh, been dropping like flies this year. No, yeah, I mean, it, this year it seems like the Indians can't have enough outfielders with all the injuries. I mean, Brandon Geyer was hurt for a long stretch earlier, and it makes a guy like Austin Jackson all the more valuable. I mean, he's been a very strong value signing. I mean, the catch aside, I think he's had a big couple weeks for them just overall. Uh, so... Yeah, you can't have enough depth in the outfield this year if you're the Cleveland Indians, uh, especially since Bradley Zimmer has kind of hit a bit of a rookie slump. Uh, last week was a little underwhelming, um, and, and it's to be expected. I mean, the guy's only his first year. He had a great July, but but he's come down to earth a little bit. So Jay Bruce, obviously veteran, big power bat. He's got 29 home runs, so you know he can mash it. You can put him in the middle of the lineup and, and add some extra protection for Ramirez and Encarnacion. Uh, Bob, I mean, I don't see how people can be disappointed with this. Honestly, I think this is probably a bigger move than the one they made at the trade deadline to get Jay Bruce for the price they got him. I know he's a rental, but 
he's a quality player and, and certainly going to help in a number of areas, especially given all the injuries that you just outlined to, to the Indians outfield. Yeah, man, it, it is really surprising that a perennial 25 to 30 home run outfielder uh, was moved for, for a single A prospect. And, and I understand what you're saying about Ryder Ryan, but you know he, he was not a top 30 prospect in the Indians pipeline. It, really surprising that this happened post-trade deadline uh, during the waiver period. And for a single prospect, they're able to get uh, a 30 home run hit and bat. Uh, rental or not, I mean, I, I've seen guys move on rental trades for, for much more than that um, and and have similar home run production as Jay Bruce. So, uh, yeah, it's really surprising. I, I question, you know, why did Michael Brantley getting injured be the catalyst for, for them getting Jay Bruce if this is what the offer was? Maybe uh, the Mets were holding out for something better and finally they just wanted to cut some costs and, and, and shed his contract. But uh, if that deal was available earlier, why, why didn't the Indians pull it early, pull it then? Uh, but I, I'm glad Bruce is on the team. I think it's a fantastic move for them. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I don't think this had anything to do with Brantley's injury, to tell you the truth. I, I thought at the time it did just because of the timing. But looking at what they paid to get Jay Bruce, I, I just can't see it. Like if they had given them two quality prospects, like you, like you said, two top 30 prospects, then I'd be like, okay, they're clearly jumping on this guy because Michael Brantley's hurt. But to get the value that they did for Jay Bruce, it just doesn't make any sense because you would think the Mets would leverage that injury into a higher payload. So, so I think in hindsight, these two events were separate and maybe they just tried to get Jay Bruce at the deadline. The Mets were in sky high mode. And then now that the waiver period began, they're like, okay, he's going to leave anyway. Let's get his salary off our books and try to just get something for him because he's a free agent at the end of the year. And then, and they must have had a big indication that Bruce just wasn't going to resign. So I think I think you're right. At that point, the Mets just were like, okay, let's get something for him now because this is one of the final chances we're going to have to to, to leverage any sort of value out of Jay Bruce. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, uh, as much as I, I hate kicking people when they're down, it is the Mets we're talking about. So you never not, – not the most sound of franchises in, in baseball. So – who knows? But yeah, I'm I'm glad Jay Bruce is is on the roster. In, in their defense, they were just in the World Series two years ago. So oh, they were they were, and they <laughs> they've been absolutely decimated by starting pitching injuries. I think only Jacob Degrom is their only starting pitcher uh, in the opening day rotation this year that's not on the disabled list, and that's pretty similar to what happened last year as well. Um, disappointing for the Mets, but. Um, they have a long history of making some inept moves. Uh, I don't think people would uh, <laughs> say otherwise. Um, but looking at uh, some of these playoff races, Chris, in the American League, it's getting tighter and tighter. Uh, definitely looks like the Red Sox and, and the Astros are, are pulling away a little bit in their divisions. The Indians control four-and-a-half game lead over the Twins uh, in the Central, a five-game lead over the Royals in the Central but when you start looking at these wild card races, it is a log jam. And even if the Indians lose hold of that uh, top spot in, in the AL Central, they'll be right in the thick of the wild card, and nothing's guaranteed for them. Uh, Chris, the Twins are resurgent. They they they're in second place now over the Royals in the Central, 
and the uh, Anaheim Angels, or excuse me, the LA Angels, uh, are in second place in the AL West and are gunning for another wild card spot. Uh, what are you making of this playoff race about six weeks towards the end of the of the regular season? I'm thinking the Twins are regretting they traded Jaime Garcia again. I mean, goodness. <laughs> They thought they were buyers. They go on a bad week and they say, "Oh, we're sellers." And then they win. Uh, you know, I think they had a six-game winning streak, eight and two in their last ten. So uh, the Twins are right back in it. The Royals are the ones who are now, you know, back five five games back, and the Twins four and a half. So that I think that was the best part about this week, Bob, is that the Indians finally put some distance between them and the division. You know, I, I think. You can rest a lot easier when you're in that four plus five game range, uh, but anytime you see the number three or less, you just you just kind of are on pins and needles because three games is not a lot. It just I I know it it only seems like a one or two difference, and, and it sounds kind of silly, but whenever I see the number go over three, I'm like, okay, good, good, they're they're fine now. And so I think that was the best part of last week, taking three out of four from the Rays, splitting with the Rockies, even though that Wednesday game against Colorado really should have been a win. You could have argued that that Tuesday game should have been a loss because they needed a, you know, a rally in the bottom of the ninth. So I guess it kind of evened out. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's good to see the Indians putting distance on this because the last place you want to be right now is the American League wild card picture. Um, the Anaheim Angels, as you said, are 61 and 58 over 500 finally and, and they're actually in control of that second wild card spot followed by the twins the royals are out of the wild card picture right now i mean they're still within striking distance but they they are no longer one of the two spots so if i'm the indians i want to stay above water as much as possible i do not want to go down and have to deal with that mess that is the al wild card race um, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. And I, I'm going to love watching it with my feet back because hopefully the Indians won't be involved in it. Uh, so so I, I'm, I'm very relieved that Cleveland is taking care of business. Yeah, definitely. Yankees and Angels in control of those wild card spots, but there are five teams uh, less than three games out of that final wild card spot that the Angels currently occupy. Uh, Twins, Royals, Mariners, Rays, and Orioles. And even the blue, blue, or excuse me, the the Rangers are three and a half games out. So yeah, it is a it is a mess. Um, the obviously for for any team, the easiest way is winning your division. But for the Indians, uh, I, I think it's division or bust for them. Um, and, and thankfully, they've uh, like you said, put some distance between each other. Uh, and Chris, we got some reinforcements coming. Lonnie Chisenhall rehabbing in Double A. Andrew Miller might rejoin the Indians by the by this weekend against the Royals to, for that series. He's set to have a, a rehab assignment Wednesday in Columbus. That's great news. I mean, a, a really quick DL stint for Andrew Miller. Yeah, that that's fantastic news. Um, it's good to see that he'll be back. Obviously, they're going to take extreme care with both of them because you want to make sure that they are ready for the playoffs um, because right now when you've got a four and a half game lead six weeks left you got to be thinking long term and so obviously don't rush either of them even though their return would be greatly welcomed um, but but my big question is is if Chisenhall comes back before September 1st before the 40 man expands uh, does that mean Zimmer's going to do a bit of a stint down in Columbus before rejoining the team after the rosters expand because because I, I really can't see who else would be opted down for Chisenhall in this offense right now? Uh, I believe probably Abraham Almonte 
uh, I, I think he got recalled. He's currently on the Indians roster. He got recalled. So I think that would be the the replacement right there. Let me strike that real quick. Your shell up <laughs> is going to go down. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought they sent him down when, when they brought Kittness up, but I guess he is still on the roster. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ur- Urshela is still there. Yeah, that seems very likely that Urshela gets sent down in, in lieu of Chislin Hall. My fault. Misremember. They, 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 they've had so many injuries and flip-flopping things. I, I don't know what's going on right now. But, yeah, looking yeah. at the roster right now, I think Urshela your, your is probably the candidate. So so they'll keep Zimmer up. But, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. Look, we, we've mentioned this a ton of times, too. It is great to have the kind of depth the Cleveland Indians have all over the field and all over the the pitching staff. I mean, they, they've just got so many guys that you can call upon in Columbus to fill spots. It, it really is a blessing to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, getting into the the playoff stretch uh, in baseball, we will be checking in, following those Indians really closely, uh, and, and some big series coming up uh, as we close out August against some division rivals and some. Uh, postseason rivals in, in the Yankees and Red Sox. So we'll keep you posted on that, uh, Chris. But now we will turn to uh, – hold, hold on a sec, though, Bob. I'm sorry. When Chisenhall comes back, your shallow will go down. It'll get interesting if Brantley comes back after Chisenhall comes back. That's when the roster will get really tight. I can't see them carrying seven outfielders. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we're getting really close to the that the the roster expansion probably by the time Brantley makes it back, though. So um, I think it might solve itself, but we'll have to monitor that as Brantley uh, rehabs and gets closer to joining the team. I knew I was missing something there, so I was missing two things. Either way, <laughs> we can't yeah. all be perfect, man. We can't always throw a perfect game. No, it's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> um, all right, well, Chris, we're let's turn to uh, Cleveland Browns r- real quick. Uh, Twenty to fourteen win over the New Orleans Saints for their Week One preseason game. Um, Chris, what what are what are your takeaways from from that victory? Well, they won, so that's obviously a good thing. <laughs> uh, I know it's preseason, but it's always better to win than it is to lose. I mean, I, I just don't care. I know it doesn't mean anything. They're not better than the Saints. They're not doesn't meet, change the outlook for the regular season. But it's always better to win than it is to lose. And especially when you have a bunch of young guys who are, who are developing, um, especially when Deshaun Kaiser was a big part of that, leading the team down the field to take, take the lead. I thought that was very encouraging. I thought he played well. Now, let's keep it in check. Deshaun Kaiser looked great, but he was playing with the third stringers. So, obviously, it's good that he looked great. It's better to look great against the third stringers than bad, but... But let's rein in the whole Deshaun Kaiser's going to lead the Browns to the Super Bowl talk because, uh, you know, it's only one preseason game against the Saints' third stringers. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not encouraged by his performance. I'm not saying that I'm not encouraged by the Browns' victory. But but I do think that, you know, it is one preseason game, though there were some positives, Bob, and Deshaun Kaiser was certainly one of them. It is good that he came out and played well, especially given that he was playing against the third stringers. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I, I feel like we say this every time we talk about uh, NFL preseason, but you never want your players to play bad in the preseason. Yeah. Um, but when they play good, you can't take too much away from it. I, I will say, though, that Deshaun Kaiser, when he played the entire second half, granted, as you said multiple times with the third string, 
Um, when I watched him play though, I felt as though he were clearly, he was clearly the best player on the field for that second half. And I don't think I can say that. I I would have been able to say that for a lot of Cleveland Browns, especially a lot of Cleveland Brown rookie quarterbacks in the past. I think he clearly showed that he has skills uh, that need to be tested against better competition than the third string. I mean, those bombs were great. Uh, the, the, the game winning touchdown bomb and, and then the, the long bomb earlier to, to, to set up that second touchdown, but he made some other key throws on a third and 24 and a second 17 showing some mobility, some arm strength and some accuracy that, quite frankly lots of other cleveland browns quarterbacks just were would be incapable of doing so i I think that's great i'm not going to say that he should be the game one starter or that he's going to be a pro bowler in in the future but he passed his first test and i think he passed it with an a i mean he did really well in in that second half let's see what he does in preseason week two possibly against the second stringers now and and we'll go from there um oh sorry go ahead First of all, I just want to talk about that touchdown pass because I've seen it. Fourth and two. He stands in the pocket, very poised, eyes downfield. He's about to get hit. He unloads the perfect strike down the field for the touchdown, and he took a shot at the end of that throw too. I mean, that that is an NFL throw. I don't care if it is against first, second, or third stringers. That was an NFL-level play that he made. So you're absolutely right, Bob. To make that clutch of a play in a in an NFL game, even if it's against NFL third stringers, to stay in that pocket, know you're going to get hit, and still have the poise to keep your attention downfield and make an NFL throw in what was okay coverage, um, that that that's definitely very impressive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now you know when Richard Sherman's the cornerback, I'm not even sure if that wide receiver is going to be open. Uh, but he, with an open wide receiver, he hit him in stride and, and put a spot on throw with some pressure. So I think Kaiser uh, gets past his first test, like I said. Uh, Chris, Monday against the Giants, where does Deshaun Kaiser stack in, in the order of the quarterbacks, and, and what do you want to see out of him? Well, I think he has to be at least number two. I, I would put him ahead of Kessler. I think you got to at least play him against the second stringers. Um if the plan is ultimately to start Brock Osweiler and ease Kaiser into the NFL, then I don't think you should modify that. I think you should protect Kaiser. And because Brock Osweiler, if he's going to start week one, needs to get as much time with the starting guys as possible, if that's the ultimate plan. But if this was just a week one kind of feeling out my the rookie quarterback thing, yeah, I, I, I think he, he has made his case that he could at least get an audition with the first stringers. Um, but at the same time, I think Coach Hugh Jackson has to balance how ready he feels he is. Uh, does one preseason performance change that? Because I think if you start Kaiser week two, you're leaning towards starting Kaiser for the rest for, for the season because there aren't that many chances to get first team reps in the preseason. I'm talking more against the other team's first team. And whoever's going to start week one needs that. And so if the plan is to ease Kaiser into this league, I think he'll be the second stringer. But if he gets that first string or or the start, he will – I mean, he he has a good shot. I I think that's a signal that he will be the, uh, you know, inside favorite to start week one. Yeah, it'll be be, uh, really interesting. I think all indications – 
from just drafting Deshaun Kaiser uh, after having multiple selections in the first round, waiting to take him in the second round, uh, the way they've approached the offseason and training camp, I mean, they have. They, it seems like they want to take their time and to take it really slow with Kaiser. I would be really surprised if he went from third stringer in preseason week one to starter in preseason week two just off of that performance. I would be really happy, and I think it's the smartest decision, is is to say, all right, he did really well against the third string. Let's see how well he does against the second string. And until he proves himself against them, he's not going to get a, a shot with the first team. I, I think that would be best and, and what I really want to happen uh, for this Monday night game against the Giants. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards you, uh, to what what you're thinking, uh, because again, I don't. If if the guy is really not ready, then I don't think you should let one big moment change your plans. But Hugh Jackson sees this guy every day in practice. He sees him studying film and preparing. So if there are other factors that that lead Hugh to believe he's ahead of his development. Go ahead, because cause you got to see what this guy can do at some point. So if he's ready, I have no problem with it. But I, I just think that whoever gets to start this game is probably trending towards the week one starter. Because, Bob, I don't think you can start Osweiler for two weeks and then switch it to Kaiser. I, I, I think that would be too much to ask of a rookie quarterback, and it might throw your first stringers out of sync. I, I, I think they would want to lean against having Osweiler start two games and then make that decision. I, I think they're gonna. I think whoever starts this game is probably going to be the Browns' Week One starter. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that for sure. Um, all right, well, Chris, enough quarterback talk. Who else uh, impressed you Week One preseason game? You know, Sean Kaiser was the fourth guy the Browns drafted in, in the draft. There were three other rookies. Now David and Joku didn't play, but we still had the number one overall pick, Miles Garrett, out there. We still had Preppers. Who, who impressed you? Well, uh, Brian, uh, excuse me, say this wrong, but Brian Body Calhoun made a fantastic fourth and goal stop uh, against the Saints. Uh, an, an amazing tackle, and that certainly got my eyes popping. Um, so I, I think he's made a case. You know, again, I know it was later in the game, so it wasn't against the the starting unit, but um, he is definitely with that play and his play in the first preseason game. His, uh, you know, making his case to to play a role in what is. Consider probably a wide open secondary. I, you know, I don't think anyone is confident in the guys that they have there just yet. I think a lot of guys in the secondary are kind of mixing and matching and figuring out what's going on. So, so with his play, he certainly is um, making a case to stick on this roster and add some depth to that secondary. But, but that tackle on fourth and goal was fantastic. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, secondary absolutely wide open. If you can make some plays in preseason, I think. You have a good chance of having a role uh, in the regular season for sure. Well, Chris, one guy who uh, did not impress anybody watching the game uh, is Cameron Irving, uh, former first-round pick for the Browns, potential starting center when they selected him, uh, flamed out at guard, and and now he's in a battle to be the, the starting right tackle, and that is not off to a good start for Mr. Cameron Irving. Chris, is Irving going to be on this roster uh, come regular season? It's a fair question. Uh, to be fair to Cam Irving, he was playing left tackle in the preseason. I think that that's a little bit of high altitude for him. Um, he was playing for Joe Thomas. Um, nevertheless, he did not have a good game by any means. Um, dumb penalties, just just same old mistakes. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly think his play has, has put him in more danger than I thought he was. 
I, I can't see the Browns cutting bait with a first-round pick uh, after just two seasons, but but certainly this is the money year for Cam Irving. I mean, he's got to show something or he will, will not be back next year. And, and honestly, if he keeps playing like this, he might not be back this year. So I, I don't think they cut him because I, I just – who else do you got? You know what I mean? I mean, the, the Browns do need depth at their offensive line, even though they went out and addressed it in the offseason. I, I, I think it would be hard to see them move on from someone they drafted in the first round, given the state of this team coming off a 1-15 year. I just, I don't, I don't think they want to give up on him just yet. Yeah, I don't. They can give up on him and keep him on the roster. Cam Irving does have one thing going for him, and that's his versatility. He can play essentially all five positions on the offensive line. At least he can play guard, tackle, and center. Uh, Now, can he do any of those well? Uh, No, he hasn't shown the ability to do so, but he does have versatility where he is a body that can fit in and slot in uh, for for any of those injured uh, positions. So, he has that going for him. Uh, I, not a lot of offensive linemen can play all three positions on the line. And he, he still is on that relatively cheap rookie contract. I'd be surprised if they just cut ties with him. But uh, I think his uh, window of opportunity to be a starting offensive lineman for the Browns uh, is closing very quickly. He needs to have uh, multiple bounce back games in the preseason if he wants to be that starting right tackle. No, I definitely agree with you there. Um, but, you know, Miles Garrett got a lot of hype going into the week one preseason game. Uh, didn't show up in the stat book, but but I don't think he had a terrible game. I think he, he had a standard kind of rookie debut. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he was great. I don't think he was bad. So good good that it's kind of neutral on him. I, I think he's going to have sky-high expectations the whole year. But um, no, I, I don't think he was he was bad. I just think everyone expected him to be the next coming of Michael Strahan and you know these things take time yeah again he didn't play poorly nobody came away from that game thinking that he played poorly but yeah he didn't he didn't make any plays he didn't come up in in the stat line but by all accounts by the people watching the film multiple times and I'm certainly not going to do that for a preseason game uh, Miles Garrett had a good game so that that's good to hear and obviously the plays will will come and, and they should happen in bunches for a guy like that Nate Orchard had a pretty solid game too uh, I thought he made a couple plays um you know especially on a first and five play I can't remember what but he uh he had a pretty good play I think he was involved with the first sack of the game or, or of the season if I remember correctly yeah he he had uh like a back-to-back he had a sack and then the very next play he was on the tackle for loss so yeah he had a good sequence um transitioning from the outside linebacker to defensive end um you know, Browns have some potential in that front seven for sure. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think the front seven could be, for once, the strength of the team. I think it's something they can hang their hat on, especially if Miles Garrett is as advertised. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it has been a, a, a little bit of a slow week for, for some Cleveland sports, so that's really all the news we have coming out of Cleveland. Uh, we are going to check in with a former Ohio State Buckeye, though, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, involved in some big headline news that the Dallas Cowboys running back suspended for six games by the NFL um, for his behavior and some domestic violence allegations and some other suspect behavior as well. Um, Chris, this is like a year-long investigation that um, 
you know, a lot of people are mad about this critical of the suspension. What, what's your takeaway from Zeke getting a six game suspension, uh, after week one in the preseason? At this point, Roger Goodell could suspend anyone doing anything. And unless you have a, a Ray Rice like video, I think people are just going to point the finger at him. I think I'm not defending Roger Goodell overall, but I do think that as a commissioner, he is getting a lot of flack for every little thing he does. Um, but but to focus it back on Ezekiel Elliott, um, I was surprised that he got suspended. And, and that's not to say that I disagree with the suspension, but this investigation went on a very a pretty long time, and the rumblings prior to the suspension coming out was, you know, it didn't look like he was going to get punished. You know, there, there were a number of stories out there saying that, yeah, Zeke is probably going to avoid a suspension. And it was kind of off my radar. And then, boom, a six-game suspension came out. So it, it surprised me just because I thought the story – it seemed like the story was fading away. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not defending his actions. I'm just telling you the situation. Um <coughs> Obviously, it's it's an it's a situation you don't want to be in. The, the the NFL over the last three years have had a ton of guys do things off the field with regards to domestic violence that that you know are really quite horrifying. Now now I don't know all the details of Ezekiel Elliott's case. Uh, there there certainly aren't any images like there were with Greg Hardy. There's not a video like there was with Ray Rice. But in this day and age. Um, Anything that you do off the field is just going to be blown up because of the Ray Rice incident and how that was totally mishandled by the NFL. You know, anytime a player gets involved with this, you know, horrific crime, whether he did it or not, I don't know, but his name's associated with it. That That's not a good thing. And you're definitely going to hear it from the NFL. I think there's a high, there's a there's a chance his suspension is going to get reduced to three or four games. That's generally the mo here. The NFL goes high, knowing that the appeal is going to reduce it. Um, so so that that probably is why it was a six game suspension. Um, but yeah, no, it's obviously a situation that that I think we're tired of talking about, Bob. And and I just would hope that you know this kind of behavior doesn't happen again. I don't know the specifics to Ezekiel Elliott's case, but the fact that his name is associated with something like domestic violence is just not a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from all the the stories and rumors that you heard about Zeke over the last year and a half, you know, you can piece together a fact that he needs to get some of his behavior in order, whether some of the, whether all of them are true or not, that's to be debated. But, um, Clearly, there's a pattern of behavior that, that Zeke had going on. And I'm not saying a pattern of domestic violence, but just a pattern of bad behavior um, that he needs to get right. Now, is that warranting of a six-game suspension when other NFL players have done far worse? I don't think so. But as you said, the NFL makes it up as they go along. There's absolutely no precedent for anything they do. They make one ruling, and you think that you can use that to judge the next ruling they're going to make. It's completely a 180. Um, everything is reactionary from them. And Roger Goodell uh, every year does something to reinforce the reason why he is booed relentlessly at the NFL draft and is probably the most vilified uh, sports official 
across any sport in, in America. I, I, I'm really shocked that Zeke is suspended. Not, you know, throw on the fact that he was not charged with anything, uh, did not, was not found guilty or, uh, was didn't have any charges pressed against him. But also the fact that, you know, as much as Goodell is not, uh, a fan of the Patriots, him and Jerry Jones are tight. And I, I was really surprised that he would do such a, lay down such a heavy suspension for a, such an anecdotal case uh, in, in Ezekiel Elliott. It re- really surprising to me that this is happening. Like you said, the appeal process is probably going to reduce that suspension, but still a four game suspension for not even really having any evidence of doing any wrongdoing uh, is really shocking to me. I don't think he helped himself with the St. Patrick's Day video. Now that's something that's clear video of him you know, kind of yanking yeah, out yeah, a woman's sure. shirt and exposing it. So I certainly don't think that that helped the situation at all, and it's wrong. Um, but, hey, Bob, you got to watch out because Roger Goodell and Bob Kraft were buddy buddies, and he came down pretty hard on Tom Brady for Deflategate too. So um, yeah. you know, Jer- Jerry Jones should have known that, that the friendship card probably wasn't going to play very, very long with uh, Roger Goodell. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like uh... – well, you know how I feel about Deflate Gate <laughs> and talking about it, but I, I don't know. I, I think the Patriots uh, kept testing Roger Goodell, uh, and Bob Kraft kept testing Roger Goodell, and finally he had enough. I don't. I don't know if they had that same contentious relationship. But you're right, Matt. I, I'm, now I'm reading into Goodell's personal relationship with the owners that I have no idea about. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see what's going on with that Zeke suspension. Obviously, uh, if you are like me and already had one fantasy football draft and took Zeke with the number three pick only to find out he was suspended a day later. You're a little bit upset, but um, that's why you don't have fantasy football drafts before week one of the preseason. So Bob, how many fantasy leagues are you in this year? Uh, probably be three. Okay. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah, I really, I, I've trimmed it down over the last two years. Yeah. I think the most I was in was like seven Seven, how do you do <laughs> seven leagues? I can I, I I trimmed it down to one last year because two was too much, and a couple of years I did three, and I was just overwhelmed. I I could have never done seven. Yeah, that I mean that was way too much for sure. Um, but people just ask me, you know, and I I love I I pretty much had tiers like the tier one were the ones that I absolutely cared about the most. Tier three was like I am in it just to do an interesting draft. Um. Yeah, I, I, it it got a little bit much <laughs> at the end. I just remember walking into your room and seeing the whiteboard, how you kept yeah. track of all those leagues and stuff. I'm like, Bob, if you have to have a whiteboard, it's time to scale back. Yeah, I had a whiteboard that like had all the buys and the different rosters for the different leagues and who I would start each week. Yeah, that was it, it's kind of crazy when you're in that many leagues, how many similar people you have. Well, yeah, uh, I do think you naturally try to draft the same because you, you you have confidence that your strategy is a winning strategy. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, we'll, we'll turn to one final piece in news, another star uh, out for possibly some controversial reasons. I don't know if you agree with it or not, but Bryce Harper uh, landed awkwardly on first base while trying to beat out a throw 
is out indefinitely with a deep bruise in his knee. There's no tear, so he is expected to return at some point this season. Uh, but Chris, Bryce Harper, uh, one of the most exciting players in the MLB, but oft injured. Uh, are you blaming this more on his all-out effort uh, tendency to get hurt, or are you blaming it like Scott Boris is on the makeup of the base? I think it's just a fluke injury. I don't know. Maybe maybe an MLB investigation will, will suspend someone for base gate. I don't know. But um, from my fantasy team's perspective, it's it's devastating because uh, he's a very important player and a very important playoff push in my fantasy baseball league. Uh, so that obviously have lost Kershaw and Harper in a matter of a couple weeks. Not helping that my first two picks are on the DL, but uh, it is what it is. Um, but no, I, I think it was more a fluke injury than anything with the bases. I don't even know. I don't even know why this argument's being made. I think Scott Boris is just mad that his client might not get as much money in the off season or whenever off season he's available because of an injury in August. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bryce Harper and Scott Boris have talked a huge game about the contract that they're going to sign in, in free agency, but. Bryce Harper can't stay healthy, really. I mean, he he has shown spurts and uh, of good health, and, and obviously won an MVP. But uh, surrounded by that, he he lands on the DL a lot, and I think that is due in part to him. Just he doesn't know when to ease up, and I think we saw that with him trying to beat out that throw. Um, and then my last point is, man, he just needs to get a tighter helmet because I'm tired of seeing his helmet fall off. I mean, I've never seen a dude's helmet fall off running to first base, like as consistently as Bryce Harper. Jose Ramirez, maybe his helmet falls off a lot. That's true. I also just don't really like Bryce Harper, so maybe that's. <laughs> <laughs> but still, man, Jose, man, it, see, he's fun to watch because he's on our team, but uh, his helmet flies off a ton. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's not Harper's not the only one, but. I guess it just looks a bit more annoying when he does it. He's going to hit free agency in 2019 at the age of 26. Uh, He'll be healed by then. He'll be healed by then. Yeah. It's not the base's fault. No base gate here. Chillax, Scott Boris. Yeah. It's strange that that was the narrative after him just hurting his knee. It's not a fluke. Whatever. Uh, I guess they just, it's because it was Bryce Harper. Um, but that's the that's the news. Uh, Chris, what's your fake headline? My fake headline's a selfish one. I want Bryce Harper and Clayton Kershaw to heal up really fast and and get back. I want them both back on my team by Monday. I think I think that that's a realistic expectation. Yeah. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know where's Kershaw at in his rehab. I don't really know. I think he threw a bullpen session over the weekend, uh, so he might be back in time for the playoffs. I'm more skeptical on Bryce. Yeah. They're going to take like the fantasy playoffs. Not I don't care about his real playoffs. I care about my fantasy right. playoffs, and that's Labor Day right after Labor Day weekend. So um, he might be back, but I, I think that they're going to be super careful with Bryce, and he might not because they have a, he like a 14 game lead, so they probably won't need him until like the last week in September. Yeah, both those guys are are taking their time coming back because they have some some huge leads uh, against their opposition. So, wishful thinking for sure. Your your last fake headline came true. I mean, I think only one Brown got injured uh, from the preseason, and that was just a, a 
I forget. Ibrahim Campbell got a concussion. Yeah. So maybe I'll go two for two. That would be nice. Yeah, that that would be nice. <laughs> uh, my fact headline uh, this week is I, I want the Indians to continue to push out that lead. You know, they seem to be the only division leader uh, other than the NL Central that doesn't have a, a, a big lead against their number two team. Uh, I, I would like for that to change, and I want the Indians to go on a tear this week uh, and, and put some distance between them and the Twins and Royals. Well, they got the Twins for and Royals for three each this week, so perfect opportunity to do just that right after they take care of business in Beantown. Yeah. Cool. I want your headline to come true more than mine, by the way. So that would be <laughs> nice. Anyway. Alrighty, guys. Well, we will be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Thank you for listening. If you want to catch up on other episodes of Clee Talk, please visit FenleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports and clicking Clee Talk or just clicking on the iTunes logo in the upper right corner of FenleyRoadSports.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by clicking those logos on FenleyRoadSports.com too or searching Fenley Road Sports in their respective sites. We thank you for your support. We will be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk, more Browns and Tribe Talk, and uh, hopefully no no drama talk. You, know, you all know what I'm talking about. We had a drama-free podcast. We're not going to bring it up now. So until then, go Tribe, make Bob's headline come true. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.